The following is a President's Chapel given by Professor Joel Kim. For more information about this lecture or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474, wscal.edu, 888-480-8474. Would you turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20? 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the whole narrative starts on verse 1 and ends on verse 30, but for the sake of time, we won't read the whole of the narrative, just portions, as I point out um, in my reading here. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 30, but initially with verses 1 through 4. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, Engedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. We're going to skip over as Jehoshaphat prays and see the last part of his prayer on verse 12 when he says, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Here the Lord sends his prophet As his word is given to us, we pick up on verse 15, as it says, And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. And finally, we pick up at the end in verse 24. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, They looked toward the horde, and behold, were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. So far, the reading of his word. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, your sons and daughters gather this morning, and we look to you. We ask that by your word, you remind us of your grace and your generosity to us and that our lips may sing praises and thanksgiving to you. For we pray these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and his name alone. Amen. Friends, this morning, as you finish out this semester, and for many of you, perhaps finishing out your school here at Westminster Seminary, California, I want to remind you of what the text reminds us of this morning, that our Father in heaven is a promise-keeping God who delivers his people. Our Father in heaven is a promise-keeping God who delivers his people. And we see this by recognizing the desperate place, the dependent prayer, 
and the promised deliverance. The desperate place, the dependent prayer, and the promised deliverance. During the time of the divided kingdom, Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, a contemporary of King Ahab of Israel, who was commended for doing what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 43. He was recognized for a number of his policies, following his father Asa in exterminating the remnant of the male cult prostitutes, we're told, forging peaceful relations with the king of Israel, and his political influence over a number of neighbors and neighboring nations around Judah. Yet he was also known for his compromising ways, which set a course for Judah's decline in the future when we're told, yet the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places during the time of Jehoshaphat, obviously as with many kings, with some bright spots, but recognizing that these are men with many sins, in many ways falling short of the glory of God. It's at this time he, along with Judah, faced an invasion. There was an invading coalition of Moabites, Ammonites, and the Munites who are gathered against the Israelites. What does the author emphasize about this coalition, the enemies? Here in verse 2, we're told that this is a great multitude that is coming. We're told in verse 12, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. Verse 15, they go on to say, do not be dismayed at this great horde. We're told, and verse 24 tells us, the horde came toward them. The Judeans clearly believed that they were outnumbered, that their enemies were not only great, but they were powerful. And verse 3 tells us the mind and the state of Jehoshaphat, as well as many of the Judeans, when it says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid was afraid. Not a surprising one for many of us as we come to recognize that what they were facing were seemingly insurmountable obstacles. And perhaps many of us identified with this scenario when we're faced with futures as well as as facing opposition or circumstances that seem to be beyond our control and certainly beyond our wisdom and our abilities. I think the psalmist understood this. As he declares in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come, he says. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Perhaps even Paul identifies with this as well. On this side of the cross, we recognize that as believers, just by the simple fact of believing, we're not transported out of this place in which many things have been disrupted by sin. As Paul himself testifies in 2 Corinthians 1.8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. In this poignant personal moment, he goes on to say, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Perhaps many of you feel that way this morning. As you face your papers tomorrow and as well as the exams coming in in the next two weeks, or others of you perhaps are facing circumstances that are very difficult in your own families, relationships, perhaps back home in some ways. Many of you who are graduating perhaps are facing uncertain futures. As you look out, you're just not sure anymore. 
and you come to recognize that there are many things beyond your power and your control. This is where we see the response of Jehoshaphat. When he responded, he responded in prayer. Verse 3 tells us the action that he took. Verse 3 simply says, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and the way he acted was, And he set his face to seek the Lord. Set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. This seems to have been a pattern for him, and pattern that the chronicler records for us for many of the Judeans. As we see in chapter 17, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek Baal, but sought the God of his father, we're told. Chapter 18 begins by saying in verse 4, And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord, we're told. In fact, this is the pattern set before the people of Israel, that in verse 4 we're told, Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. Just as their king did, Judah, the nation itself, gathered to seek help from the Lord. And we see that further from all the cities of Judah. Verse 4 tells us, they came to seek the Lord. They came to seek the Lord. They wanted to seek the Lord. Instead of seeking action or something immediate of accomplishment on our own, here they set out to trust the Lord as they sought to seek the Lord. In seeking God, what is recorded is his prayer that allows us a glimpse of the faith of Jehoshaphat and the people of Egypt. Without getting into it in great detail, there are four parts to this, aren't there? And I'm only going to emphasize the fourth part, but the first part has to do with praise for his power. In verse 6, where we're told, In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you, we're told. It reminds everyone of who God is and what he is capable of. The fact that God is powerful and mighty has been repeated theme in the book of Chronicles, and it seems especially appropriate in light of the fact that Judah's current state is one of powerlessness against the enemy. In verses 7 through 9, we're told in this prayer is yet another element of praise. Not only praise for God's power and who he is, there is praise for God's provisions. The prayer focuses not only on who God is, but what God has done for Judah. God has always kept his his promises to the forefathers. As we're told, he delivered to them the promised land by driving out the inhabitants of this land, verse 7. He has kept his promise to multiply Abraham's descendants, as we're told, your friend, who Abraham is. Moreover, here it's the very same God who came near to them by making his dwelling among them in the temple that was built, according to verse 8. It's not only about who God is, the very character of God, but what God has done, that throughout history, he has kept his promises to his people, there is nothing that presents an obstacle in our belief that God will come to aid and God will deliver his people. And this is where, in honesty, Judeans, along with Jehoshaphat, comes and pleads honestly before God for help. As with the psalmist, he in plain terms describes his predicament and the sense of injustice he feels and the call for the Lord's aid in verse 12 where he says, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde 
that is coming against us. Having laid out his thankfulness to the Lord for who he is, praises for what he has done, and having laid out his concerns and his pleas and laments before him, notice his confession of trust at the end of verse 12 when he simply ends his prayer with, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Following the pattern of the Psalms of Laments, Jehoshaphat's cry of lament transforms into a confession of trust. We look at places like Psalm 13, where it begins with the lament of King David. How long, O Lord? How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Yet 13 ends with these words when he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, he says. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The plea is not for any particular action. In fact, the whole mission is that we don't know. We don't presume to come before God with knowledge as to what he must do as if we're in charge of our own future or our destiny. Here, there is no particular action he seeks, but for God to show himself in providence and power. Having cried out in distress, Jehoshaphat simply trusts and he waits. Not action, not accomplishments, not self-sufficiency, but he patiently waits for the action of the Lord. Oftentimes, we have a moment of clarity when we are tired, when we are especially weak, and when we are overwhelmed with the responsibilities that are before us, and a sense of anxiety and fear overwhelm us. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 1, as I shared earlier, after sharing his personal difficulties he experienced, he offers his own understanding when he goes on to say in verse 9 of chapter 1, but all that suffering, all those difficulties, he said, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. He says what he's come to realize is that all those things made him realize that he cannot rely upon himself, but that but on God is what he stands upon. Not on ourselves, but on God. What does the Lord do? Well, the chronicler records for us the promised deliverance, doesn't he? I love this image of the people of God waiting on the Lord in verse 13. All Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. All Judah stood before the Lord with their little, little ones, with their wives and their children. As they sought the Lord, the word of the Lord came from an unexpected source. The spirit of the Lord uh, came over Jehaziel and declared the word of the Lord, as we're told in verse 15, and he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord, the prophet of God says, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. 
You've heard those phrases before throughout the Old Testament, have you not? And you've heard that in the New Testament as well. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. And the reason is simply this. Not because of your competence or your ability to prepare or your ability to overcome what's before you. He simply says, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. And he picks up in verse 17 when he says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Now he tells him to prepare, stand firm. It's not without actions involved, but this battle is not yours, he says. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. The Lord will be with you. The same themes are repeated, and you can hear this. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, because God is at war on your behalf and he will be with you. The author draws a parallel with God's deliverance from Exodus in places like Exodus 14, where there's a close tie-in when the, the Israelites are stuck between the sea and the Egyptians that are chasing them as they were led out of their slavery. And we, are, we, are, we hear the Lord saying through Moses, Moses said to the people, fear not, fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What is remarkable is that all that the people of God can do, all that the people of God can do is simply watch and see the wondrous salvation of the Lord. His overwhelming, abundant, overflowing salvation of the Lord that Paul testified to in 1 Timothy chapter 1. In a day marked by self-sufficiency and a pursuit of independence where you simply say, I can do it, or as the commercials tell us, you can do it, we can help. This seems shockingly passive and dependent. But we are told that dependence on God is of greater importance than any preparations of war, gathering of men, strategic planning, or assessment of enemy for strength. All those things may be important and significant for us, but their additional work, first and primarily and ultimately and foundationally, here we come to the Lord in silence and recognize it is God who is at work and we are witnesses to the work of the Lord. You know what the result was. Verse 24 simply says, When Judah came to the watchtower, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. This is because the Lord had set an ambush, according to verse 22, pitting men of one nation against another, initially a coalition, now enemies of one another, so that they were routed. Verse 23 says, they all helped to destroy one another. Who put this at work? The Lord set an ambush. What's amazing is that when Paul comes back to his lament and sharing of his distress, as we said, he simply said, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God 
But then he actually explains who this God is when he says, but on God who raises the dead. On God who raises the dead. In Colossians 1.29, Paul offers a glimpse of his mindset as a minister of the Lord as he sets himself to the work of the Lord's service. In 29, he says, for this, which is the act of proclaiming Jesus Christ, him we proclaim is what he had said in the previous verse. I think we heard of that phrase somewhere on a book title that we might be very familiar with. For this proclamation of Jesus Christ, I toil. He says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me, he says. All his energy that he powerfully works in me. Read in context of Colossians 2.12, we're told exactly what this power is that energizes Paul powerfully to do his work. And this work is the faith in the powerful working of God. And how do we know how powerful he is? He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the power that is at work. Just in the right time, he sent his son to live and to die and resurrect on our behalf. That resurrecting power of God is at work. It is that very power that raised Jesus from the dead is the very power that is at work within us as we go about the business of proclaiming the name of Jesus and exalting him. This is why Paul goes on to finish his thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 9, where he said, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And verse 10 goes on to say, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope and he will deliver us Again, who are we that we deserve this promise? What did the Judeans do? What did Jehoshaphat do? They simply trusted and worshipped. They lifted up thanksgiving according to verse 21. When they worshipped singing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Friends, I'm not sure what's on your mind the day before the papers are due, weeks before the exams are due, months before you head off to your ministry in various places, not only for the summer, for some of you, for the rest of your lives. Many decisions, many actions, many work that you have to engage in. Yet, here the reminder to us is you set your hope on the Lord and you trust that his salvation will be seen and visible as witnesses. And here for us, we give thanks to the Lord. For we have no reason to doubt his promises. For he is who he is, and he has been faithful to us. And he who has been faithful to us, he will deliver us. And the only response that the Israelites had, just to simply sing praises in doxology. So we end this semester with these words of the Lord's promise. And having received this promise, we cannot end except to sing praises to him as well. So we end with the doxological praise of the Apostle Paul in Romans 16, where he turns having expounded not only his uh, uh, own life and his own struggles in both theology and, and work, 
And having expounded the greatest of the theological understanding of who God is and who we are before him, he ends with these words and may continue to encourage and challenge us as he says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the uh, prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. May that guard you. May that encourage you. May that allow you to sing praises in the midst of all the circumstances and environment that you see yourself in. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we entrust ourselves and all these students to you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose life and death and resurrection allow us to come be- allows us to come before you no longer in fear of condemnation, but with songs of praises on our lips, with confidence in our hearts, because we have been clothed in the righteousness of your Son, and we approach you as our Father. We are your sons and daughters, O Lord, and we are not defined by what we do or what we accomplish both now and in the future, but simply because we are recognized by you through your Son, and we thank you so much, O Lord for embracing us as your sons and daughters, co-heirs with your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, in these days, when many of us are overwhelmed with perhaps anxiety and fear, just simply work that we feel like we need to do, teach us to trust in you. Remind us of who you are and what you have done. Allow our lips to be filled with thanksgiving and praises to you, for you have been so faithful to us. We especially think of our students for the next few weeks, O Lord, strengthen them both in body and in spirit, that they may set their hopes upon you and see your gracious and powerful hand upon them. We think of those students who are graduating, O Lord. Give them backbones of steel in these days days of uh, quick changes and many challenges against the faith. Allow them to speak boldly, clearly, Allow them in their teaching and proclamation to exalt the name of Christ Jesus our Lord, that their light may shine, and indeed, through their lives and their proclamation, O Lord, Lord, the world may see, world may see the God who created us and redeemed us. We thank you for this time. We pray this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.